Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. Well, last week, we started a series, and it was kind of like just a launch, and the title of it was Proving Ground, and we laid the foundation last week that God wants to bless us, God wants to prosper us, God wants to promote us. Can we all agree on that? Three of us agree. I said, can we all agree on that? We, I mean, if we, don't, if we don't start there, you know, the Bible says we're of the seed of Abraham. The Bible, if you study Abraham's life, God came to Abraham and God said, you know, if you will come after me, he said, I will bless whatever you do. And so God wants to bless our, our lives. But that one of the biggest concerns, being the loving father that he is, is that we have the character and the capacity to handle his blessing on our life. It's like if your child comes to you and says, and they're, you know, maybe eight or 10 years old, and they say, I want a motorcycle. You don't run and buy them a 1,500cc motorcycle and give it to them. You start them with maybe saying, how are you doing on your bicycle? How many of you know what I'm saying? Oh, I only hit three mailboxes today. Okay, guess what? No motorcycle yet. And so what God does is he desires to bless our life, but he wants to make sure that we have the character and the capacity. And so God allows and even leads certain types of tests in our life because he loves us and he doesn't want us to self-destruct. He doesn't want us to implode in our life. And this is very much an accurate biblical view of God. If, and, you know, if you're, if maybe if you were not here in regard to this and you, you say, I wasn't here last week, I want to encourage you that you can go download, you can get the podcast or go online and just watch it. But realize this is that we just gave a ton of scriptures last week and we basically talked about every hero that you, ha- you or I have in the Bible. God brought them through and we identified nine different tests that the Lord will allow us to go through that prove our personal potential to be able to handle more of what he's got for our life. Proverbs 17.3, and this was one of the foundation scriptures, it says that fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord, he tests the heart. God God tests the heart. We found out in James 1 that God said he wants us to view every test and every trial as an opportunity to grow. That's what God wants us to see. And I realize that when we're going into a test or a trial, we don't sit there and say, oh, I'm just so excited about this test and trial. How many of you know what I'm saying? But God gives us a deeper perspective in regard to it. And so last week, we even found out that before Jesus ever started his 
ministry after the Holy Spirit descended and God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased that in the very next breath, Jesus was not exempted from this. Even though he had never sinned, he was the son of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested by the um, and tempted by the enemy. And you know, you think about it is that if I think all of us, maybe if you've been a Christian for any length, you can look at somebody in the Bible and say, either this is my favorite book or this is a hero that I have in my life. Realize they went through all nine of these. Every time we face a test or a trial in our life, God is wanting to adjust our view from defeat and discouragement to God is wanting to promote me. It's like when you went from third grade to fourth grade. At the end of the year, you took certain tests to prove you had the potential to make it into that next. When you wanted to drive a car, you had to, you had to go take a test with the DMV so the people around you would be safe. Are you with me? So, uh, and, and so what, and God is exactly the same way. See, tests and trials is, realize this, that tests and trials is a process of development and growth within our life. And you know, when you think about tests and trials, they do many things, but two things that I can think of whenever we go into a test or a trial, the very first thing they do is they reveal us. They reveal where we're at on the inside. They reveal our attitude. They reveal our outlook. They reveal our faith. They reveal us. The second thing that they do is they mold us based on our response to them. They mold our life and they mold the direction of, of our life. And so last week we found out that the word test and temptation are the same Greek word in, in the New Testament. In other words, you can interchange them, but what happens is, is you have to look at the context to define it. It's almost like, you know, if you look in the New Testament, the word woman and wife are the exact same Greek word. And so you have to look at it and say, oh, what is the context of this to be able to define it? And so in every test that we face, God's underlying motive in our life is he's wanting to promote us. He's wanting to bless us. But equally, what will happen is, is that when we face a test, the enemy will come in and present a temptation to not pass the test. He'll, he'll, he will present a temptation that ties in with our flesh and our personal weaknesses so that we don't pass the test and we have to retake the test later in order to experience the promotion that God wants for our life. And so every time we face a test, realize we have to stop. And how many of you know that when we go through a test, our flesh gets riled? How many of you know what I'm saying? You know, some people, they just get hangry. How many of you know what I'm saying? Other people just go into, and God is saying, stop right now. That is your temptation. And what I need you to do is don't give in to that temptation, but I need you to pass the test. See, our struggle as Americans is that our American culture is based on comfort. Yes. The only thing we can quote from the Bill of Rights is the pursuit of happiness. How many of you know what I'm saying? That's the only thing we can quote. 
But and what happens is, is because our American culture is based on comfort, it has crept into our theology and our belief about God. And so people believe, and so what, what happens is, is when they go through things that aren't comfortable, they question and they say, God, why me? Or they stop and they look in their lives and they say, you know, or, or God, are you even with me? Because this is uncomfortable and I believe that you want me just comfortable. Excuse me, God has no problem with comfort, but he doesn't want your base, your life navigated based on comfort. He doesn't want it navigated based on comfort. See, our beliefs are really important because if they're wrong, we'll live disappointed in our life. If, if we have a wrong belief about God, we're going to live disappointed. And so what we've got to do is we change our theology. I mean, we change our beliefs to match our theology, not our theology to match our beliefs. And so we stop and we say, okay, God, you're the same. And I realize. And so last week we mentioned that there was nine tests that come upon every Christian. And we can see them both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And, and what they are is they're just cover to cover. Nobody is exempt. Not even Jesus was exempt from these tests. And today I'm just going to start with the first one. And the first one is this. I'm going to call it the test of small things. The test of small things. This test comes on our life to prove our potential to handle greater opportunities in our life. Is, is God comes into our life and what happens is, is we get this test and it proves if we can handle greater opportunity. Almost everything that is great that comes into our lives is disguised as something small that is very insignificant. You know, I remember the first time I saw my wife. I looked and I said, oh, she's hot. How many of you know what I'm saying? That was it. It was just like, oh, I just think she's cute. Never imagined that here we are, been married 37 years later, and what God has done, and with four kids and grandkids and all of that. But it all started as something very, very small. I know people that their careers, how their careers started was accidental. They had a problem. They just thought, I'll try this. And it just snowballed, but it was very small and it was very, very insignificant. We rarely recognize the small things that God has placed in our life at first. We don't see them. We don't recognize them. And if you stop and you think is look at the system that God set up at creation. He said, everything starts small. It's a seed. Everything starts small. If you think about four of the parables that Jesus told when illustrating the way that God works in our life and the way that his kingdom works, he said that it was like planting a small seed. That's what he said. He said it's like planting a small seed. Can I and will I be faithful with a good attitude to do my be the best that I can when, when you know I'm in a small place? I'm just in a place that doesn't make sense. I may be serving or working at a place, knowing that God will present opportunity and he'll reward me for it. And a lot of times what we do is God starts small. It's a test of small things and we look at it and we don't see the significance of it. And I'm gonna tell you a story from the Bible in just a moment, but God is prepping us for tomorrow in that season of small things. 
Luke chapter 16, 10, it says this, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. He said, but if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. And I know that, that, that the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm just going to throw some other things in there is in regard to it. If I'm not disciplined in little things, guess what? God will look and say, you got to grow in that area. If I don't have a good attitude in the little things, then God says, guess what? You're going to need to grow in that. You know, there's a story in the Bible and you'll, as I tell it, you'll remember who it is. But there's a story of a young boy in the Bible that was thought so little of by his family that they relocated him to take care of the sheep. And that whenever an important guest would come into town and visit their house, they wouldn't even invite him in with the rest of the family, and they would leave him out there with the sheep. You know, the family would be celebrating, having the big meal, and they wouldn't even invite him. But while he was taking care of the sheep, and I'll add in obscurity, he could have gotten bitter, he could have gotten resentful, he could have said, this isn't right. But what you see is that he honed his skills with a sling in order to protect the sheep. He was out there, and he honed this skill of it's a simple slingshot. He got so good at it, that when a lion or a bear would come to attack the sheep, he would either chase them away and there were times that he would kill the lion and kill the sheep with a slingshot. How many of y'all know that's pretty bad? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, I mean, how many of you have ever, I used to, we, I used to hunt, I was raised in Huntington Beach and so you couldn't have guns, but you could have a slingshot. So I'd hunt with a slingshot. You know what I'm saying? Um, but he got, to, he got to the point that he could kill them. And you know what? When no one was watching, if you look at his life at night, he would pull out a harp, which was the equivalent in our day of a guitar, and he would just worship God in that environment where he had been relocated to a small place. He had been relocated. There was no cameras. There were no crowds, but God was watching. Then one day his father asks him to deliver cheese and food to his brothers that are at the front line with King Saul. And so he goes out to deliver brothers and he's thrust into national attention because he kills Goliath with his sling. Yes, how did he do this? It was when he was in a small place. It was when, when everybody else was saying, you know, you're not in a good spot. You think about it, is that it, it, his skills were honed in a small and an obscure place. Realize this, God is going to hone our attitude in a small place. God is going to hone our work ethic in a small place. God is going to hone our ability to stand up and do the right thing when we're in a small place. God is going to hone us while we're in a small place. And he can take us from that small place to a place of, of prominence and literally 24 hours, but he's proving us in the small place. You know, I, I think what would have happened had David, and that's who we're talking about, gotten resentful, gotten maybe bitter, you know, gotten, you know, this is angry, done the bare minimum. This is, this is crazy. I, I'm better than this. You know, I'm, um, when I was, I was recently back in 
California, and we had the opportunity to minister in San Diego. Praise the Lord. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a good place to go. And it's a good place to go in February. And so we, we had the opportunity. And when I was going back, I, um, I, there's, I have a very good friend there, and his name is Dan O'Dash. And to give you a little story about Dan O'Dash is that um, in case you didn't know, I owned a company in California, and when I left, I sold it to Dan O'Dash. But he's a very good friend. But the way that Dan O'Dash came to me um, and worked for me was that he was working for somebody else, and we went to church together, and he was working for somebody else, and he was doing demo, and he blew out like the third disc in his back, and he couldn't get out of bed. And he went to his employer and said, look, can you do something for me? I don't want to turn this in. He didn't know what it was. I don't want to turn it into workman's comp, but can you do something? And they pretty much just, you know, shined him on and said, do whatever you're going to do, but we ain't going to pay you. And so he went to workman's comp and workman's comp basically said, this is going to be something that you're going to deal with for the rest of your life. You can never go back and do what you were doing. And so we want to train you to do something different. And this was when computers were just coming on. And, and um, they said, would you like to do computers? Well, let me just give you a, a great example. Dan O'Dash quit school when he was 15. So he's just like, I learned everything I need to know in kindergarten. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he, he, Dan O'Dash, he, he quit school and he's like, I can't, but he said, he came to me at church and he said, hey, this has happened to me. I'm not worth much. I can't do much. I can't lift more than eight pounds. He said, is there any way that you can uh, use me to do something? Because I have four kids and what workman's comp is paying me is we're not going to survive. We're not going to make it. And I looked at him and I said, you know what I do? I have something that you can do. And I put him to work on a particular job that he didn't have to hold more than like five pounds and it lasted for like three months. And so he was on this particular job and he was doing his thing and, and talking with Workman's Comp and Workman's Comp went to him and basically said, hey, how about this? If, if you, could, you could be a contractor and you can... Um, and if you're a contractor, we'll pay to get your contractor's license. And, and if you will go present it to your employer, which was me, we will pay for half of your wages for a year for him to train you to do what he does. And then after it's all done, you'll be able to go out and start your own business. And so he came to me and, and he, this guy person was a credible person of integrity. And I looked at him and I said, okay, we can do that. Well, after the year came, he looked at me and he said, I like working for you so much that I don't want to go out and start a business. I know that God has called you to someday be in ministry full time. And so maybe when that day comes, you know, you can sell the business to me. And so I said, okay, fast forward that to 10 years later, he's still, that, he's still there. And I went to him and I said, I feel bad, Dan. I feel bad. We talked about this. He said, I'm happy. He said, I'm great. You take care of me. He said, I'm great. When we came here, we, we pastored a church there, but we also had a business. Is I went to him and I sold him the business. And when I was back this time to visit California, he just sold the business again and retired with a comfortable retirement. And he said, the new owner 
would like to meet you. Can we go out to breakfast? And he wants to meet you and because you started the company and all this stuff. So we went out to breakfast and I met him. But I stop and I look at Dan and I say to myself, Dan is younger than I am. Okay. <laughs> I, look, I look at Dan and I say, Dan is younger than I am. But he passed the test of small things. And he had a great attitude and he had a great heart. And so what happened is, is God blessed him and God promoted him in his life. See, we've got to realize in our life that, that God comes into our life and he said, you've got to understand that I am over everything. And the number one thing in my life is not that you get ahead naturally, but you get ahead in your character and in your spirit. If you get ahead in your character and in your spirit, you will get ahead naturally. It's automatic. But if you don't get ahead in your character and in your spirit, you can't handle what I want to do with you tomorrow. And so God comes into our life and he, and he proves us that way. You know, I stop and I think about Barnabas. Barnabas was a great example of this. You know, he, if you look at his life, what you very clearly see is that, Bar, or, I mean, not Barnabas, Paul. Paul has this incredible conversion, unlike any conversion we could ever imagine. And then, because nobody wanted anything to do with him, he goes back to his house in Tarsus, and he teaches a small home group. And I'm going to add to a few small old people that he teaches his home group to a small, few small old people for 12 years by himself in absolute obscurity with a great heart. And then God stirs Barnabas's heart and he begins to ask, what about that guy, Paul? Barnabas goes and finds Paul, tucks him under his wing and mentors him. And now we read two thirds of the New Testament, but it all came with Paul passing the test of small things. He just said, I'm just going to be faithful where I'm at. Galatians chapter six, verse nine says this in 10. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Now look at this. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now look at verse 10. A lot of times people stop there. Therefore, or because of that, because God's going to bless, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those in the family of faith. See, we've got to realize, and sometimes what it is, is in America, we get what I call destination disease. Destination disease is I'll be happy when this happens. Why? How about being happy right now? How about just saying, I'm just going to have a good attitude. Yeah, but you don't know. You're right, I don't. But I guarantee you Paul does. I guarantee you David did. I guarantee you. But just stop and say, I am going to stop waiting to be happy and have a good attitude. I'm going to be happy. And then when it happens, it will just be the icing on the cake in my life. Number two is this. So, so, we do, so number one is we, did I give you number one? I did not. Oh my gosh. Number one, we cannot get where we want to go tomorrow if we're trying to bypass today. You're, you can't get where you want to be tomorrow if you're trying to bypass today. God's got you in a great spot right now. Right now. 
today has a purpose in my life. It doesn't matter if I see it, like it, or how I think it should all fit in. God has a plan. He's with me and he sees me. That's the way he leads in my life. And sometimes we got to just stop and say, I got to take off destination disease out of my life and say, you know what? I'm going to live a great life right here, right now in my situation. Number two is this. With God, it's what we do with what we have that develops and proves our potential for tomorrow. That's God. That's the way that he is. It proves our potential. Say, why is that? Because God is a builder. Think about this for a moment. When God went to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. Here's my plan. I want an ark. Could God have instantly created an ark? Oh, do you think it would have been better than Noah's? <laughs> it would, God could have instantly created the ark. But it took, it took Noah 40 years. But what he did is God said, I just want you to know we're going to partner in building this thing. Jesus talked about in Matthew 16 that God doesn't create his church, he builds his church. And the way that God has for our lives is he wants us to get hold of this principle of building. He takes what seemingly looks insignificant in my life. And when we commit to him, he touches it and it goes way beyond what we could ever do on our own. You know, I'm reflective of, do you know that I mentioned Dan O'Dash earlier? Do you know that Dan O'Dash, God healed his back supernaturally. Healed that, healed that uh, disc in his back. So he doesn't, he, so he, can I tell you how Dan O'Dash got saved? Can I tell you how he got saved? You're going to laugh at this. He was from Wisconsin. He rode a motorcycle to California in the winter, okay, because he said, I'm out of here. He rode a motorcycle. He was a teenager, rode a motorcycle. He was, he was addicted to Coke. And so some, some hot girl said to him, come with me to church. He's like, Okay, I'll go with you. He went to church, and the preacher, who I know his name is Andy Warburton, Andy Warburton had a cold. So he was sitting up there just, <laughs> and he said he looked at him and said, dude, he does it too. I'm going to this church. How many of you know that? God took him from that place. And just said, how many of you think sometimes God just laughs? Oh, he just laughs. He just laughs. He's like, oh, you're here, but I'm going to bring you here. But you're going to have to pass the test of small things. Number three is this. What am I currently doing with what I have? Right now, what am I currently doing with what I have in my life? I'll handle greater opportunities and blessings the same way I'm handling what I have right now. And God knows this. And so he looks at us and he says, how are you handling what you currently have right now? God knows it. He knows it. And so he looks and he says, I, wanna, I want you to handle excellently what you currently have. People say, oh, you know, I'll be, I'll be happy if this happens. No, if you're not happy now, you won't be happy when that happens. You know, I'll be happy if I could find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. No, you won't, because you're just going to bring what you are to right there. 
It's, you know, oh, I'll honor God with my tithes and offerings when I get this. God says, no, you won't, because you start where you're at. So what I'm, what I'm currently doing with what I have is really, really important. Number four is this. It's not what I have that's the most important. It's what I do with what I have that's the most important. What am I doing with what I have right now? And I think in our lives, this isn't a gotcha moment, but this is just simply saying, okay, Lord, I realize that in my heart and in my life, you're saying to me, right now, if you're at a spot that you don't want to be and you feel like that your potential is much greater than where you're at, maybe you're facing the test of small things. This is what I know. No matter where we go in life, God will always present the test of small things. And he will look to see our attitude of how are we handling it in those small things. I want to give you, if I could, two reflection questions. And I think they're going to put them up there. Two reflection questions. And this is us personally. Maybe you could jot it down on your phone or you're writing it. But what is a small thing right now in my life that I can take ownership over? Stop blaming. Stop looking and say, I'm going to own this small thing right now, and I am going to take ownership over it and say, okay, God, you've got me, and you know what? It's nobody else. It's me. I'm taking ownership over it. Maybe it could be your attitude. Maybe it could be your outlook. Maybe it could be your level of discipline in a particular area. Maybe it could be your words, your tone. Maybe it could be, you know, God is saying, I need you. You know, I have another pastor friend, and this was in California, and he always rented, always rented, always rented. Let me just tell you, um, houses in California aren't cheap, okay? A, like a dump is 500 grand, okay? A dump um, is 500 grand, and so he was a pastor, and he was always, he rented a house, and he had rented a house for lots of years, the same house. He had rented it, and he was always saying to the Lord, he was always saying, God, why won't you, I want to buy my own house. I want to buy my own house. Lord, I should, you said that I'm blessed. I want to own my own house, and one day the Lord spoke to him and said this to him, why don't you take care of the house you rent like you owned it, and you would show me that you have the ability to own one. <laughs> he called me because he, he didn't know how to do nothing. And he said, could you help me paint? <laughs> That's what he said. He's like, he got out there with his hoe. <laughs> He's out there fertilizing his grass. You say, what happened? A year later, that owner came to him and said, you know what? You've been taking care of the house. Nice. I want to sell it to you. But it all started with him saying, okay, God, I, I can right now do this. Number, the, the second reflection question is decide what is the adjustment and next step I need to take to apply the principle of small things in my life. What is it right now? What is the next step in your heart and in your life that you need to stop and say, I need to apply this right now? It could be a particular area. It could be life in general, but just to stop and say, okay, God, I realize that you're speaking to me. You're speaking to my life. You're speaking to my heart. I can do this right now. Say that with me. Say, Lord, thank you for blessing me in the place that I'm at. 
I need you. Help me, God. Don't leave me to my thinking. I embrace your thinking. And I declare over my life that I have more than enough to get where God wants me to be. Thank you, Lord. Stand to your feet if you would. Stand to your feet. No one moving around, no one leaving. We'll be done in a minute. You're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. Or you have, but you've taken the wheel back. You've taken it back. Something happened in your life, situation transpired in your life, and now you're you're basically like, hey, you know, God is saying, are you done with your death grip on the wheel? Are you done with it going your way, which is frustrating? And are you willing to go all in, not half-hearted, not as long as it makes sense, but Lord, I go all in with my heart to you. You're here today and you say, I know that that's me. I want to pray with you right where you're at. This can't be because of your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents. This is just between you and right now it's just you and God. And he's drawing you by his spirit to a deeper, closer, stronger walk in your life. I want to pray with you right where you're at. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're all going to pray together. But you say, that's me. I'm not going to beat around the bush. You say, I know that that's me. I want you to just... If that's you on the count of three, I want you to just lift your hand and say, that's me. One, two, three. Just lift it up. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. All over. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hand down, and I just want to say to you, proud of you. I'm proud of you for just saying, I'm done. I'm all done. Done with the with the cesspool in the swamp. Lord, I need you. I want to lead you, all of us, in this prayer. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. And you never sinned, but you willingly allowed yourself to be crucified, to pay for my sins. And I'm asking you, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I give you my heart, which is my past. I invite you into my present. Lord, lead my future. I give you my heart and the rest of my life. Help me, God, to know you in a real way, in a personal way. I invite you, live big in me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.